Art is a part of life when you can pay attention to the visceral reaction. It doesn't always serve you well in other areas of your life, but in art, it can. You know, you walk into a room and the first thing you make a beeline to, that's great. Hello, this is Barbara St. Clair, and I am your host for Arts In, also known as AI, the podcast produced by Creative Pinellas. And I am here today with Catherine Woods, who is a sculptor and a glass artist, mm -hmm. and who interestingly works both at the very small table size mm -hmm. level yeah. and at the very large level. In other words, you could be driving by a very busy corner somewhere and see one of her sculptures. And I found that very interesting that somebody could work both big and small. Mm -hmm. We thought we could start out a little uh -huh. bit with the discussion yeah. of that. Oh boy. For me, a lot of the larger work is informed by the smaller work. I get kind of explore in smaller sizes because that just, it just makes sense. You don't want to be exploring on a final project that's 20 feet tall without first answering it in smaller sizes. And a lot of the issues that I'm interested in and investigate, I do in a smaller size, and then they, I can translate them into larger work. And what are those issues? Well, they change all the time. That's the fun thing about, the fun thing. One thing about being an artist is you might as well be allowed to, to explore and investigate a lot of different things. Color always interests me. I mean, I get visceral reactions to color. Texture is an important one. And when it comes to issues, like I'm not, I don't do a lot of like social issue work at this point, but just things that I that fascinate me at the time. What's fascinating you right now? Right, well, right now I'm working on pro big projects. So I just finished a uh, tall glass tower, and it's overlapping glass. That was a lot of I call material issues, like making figuring out how to get the glass to do exactly what you want in the way that you want daytime and nighttime. I'm I can make a sculpture now that looks entirely different at the day than it does at night based on lighting and the use of opaque and transparent color. So you, I could actually do a sculpture that looks like night at day and looks like day at night with just the imagery and the way I use the glass with the color theory and the layering. So I'm fascinated by that. And also in, uh, different uses of lighting, how they can work in concert with the glass. So you said you're working on a tower right now? I just finished one. Towers are about 20 to 23 feet tall, probably 15 to 20 feet of glass on top of a metal base. And the glass is, it, it overlaps. So you work with colors that they have to work well overlapping. You have to know that blue on this side, yellow on this side, you're gonna get green. And as the light moves around it with the sun and the, and the evening and the dusk, it changes the color. And that makes the piece, it's like a living piece. It's changing, glass is changing in the light all the time, especially in a great place like Florida. So where is this tower located? This one is at Seminole City Center. I have them across the country in Nevada, Missouri, Texas. So this is my most recent one. So if somebody wanted to go on a tour of Catherine Woods Towers across the country, they would go to, <laughs> would they recognize it? Yes, I think with it, yes, they would. It, what, there's, there's glass work outside, a lot of it's dichroic glass. Mine is more a uh, painted imagery glass exterior. And I don't see that in a lot of different places. So yeah, I think it's, I think they are pretty distinctive. I don't want to sound like I'm doing the old shoulder pat, but I think, yes, you would definitely recognize them as mine. But it's, that's just one aspect of my sculpture. I've done polychromed aluminum sculptures. I've done circular sculptures. I'm working on one now that's uh, stainless steel and, and glass circles. So I've done a lot of different sculpture. I don't, want to sound, I don't want to sound like just the tower artist. Gotcha. But how did the first tower come about? What, I, what was going that on was, It was an interest. And in some. I was working in fused glass, smaller size. And it was a matter of how do, how do I 
do some things in fused glass that haven't I haven't seen a, a bunch of times before. Some, do something new and different, move it more into the fine art realm out of the craft realm. Fused glass is a, a really fun process and it's easy to do. So a lot of a lot of craftspeople do it. And sometimes I wanted to explore it further than I had seen it done before. So I was doing overlapping colors at, uh, with two panels and I started doing water jet cut, which when this was years ago, I didn't know a ton of people water jet cutting glass back then. So you can do shapes that you can't do by hand cutting. And that turned into overlapping colors and how they react to each other. Because color and glass does things that color and paint doesn't do. I overlap a lavender with an orange and I get a beautiful deep red orange. If I was to do that in paint, I'd get brown. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting what you can do with that. And I found that fascinating. Actually, like I said, have a visceral reaction to that. Um, that kind of color is just so rich and intense and it's, it's compelling. It makes your heart beat a little faster. So I was working with that and also getting three-dimensional forms on a flat plane. I, was, I would actually do images in the computer, print them out on mylar, fold them up, and take photos of them so I got dimensional forms going. And this is, again, this was a long, this is like 2000. I was doing this in 2000. So mm -hmm. it was, I wasn't using CAD or anything like that. I was doing a lot of hands-on stuff. But I would take those dimensional images, scan them back in the computer, and then have them water jet cut in glass and then overlap them. Is that too confusing? That actually sounds really exciting. Like <laughs> it was exciting. Flashing back was, to 2000. It was very and, exciting. You know, it, we take for granted, when you said you weren't <laughs> using CAD and you were printing mm -mm. things out and folding things over, but we take for granted almost, I think there's been such a sea change oh, in our goodness. lives that the technology, when we think back, we don't hardly remember. And now I, I don't, I wouldn't, I could do all that in CAD, but part of sometimes it's like, do I want to? I mean, I work a lot on the computer. I think the computer's just a gift. I'm on it all the time, but sometimes you have to get off it. And that's when you talk about working smaller. That's the other thing. It's getting off the computer, getting into the studio, touching the stuff, moving stuff around, folding stuff up and, and doing the handwork. So it's very interesting to me how somebody becomes a public artist and has the opportunity to create monumental sculptures. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're used to seeing public art a lot, but I don't think really that most artists are working at, at that scale. How do you even get your first commission where somebody says, I, I want you to make a 20-foot sculpture? Right, or, right. Or... My first one was in Missouri. I was living in Missouri at the time, and it was for a bus station and a, a metro line terminus. and. I had come from advertising, so I was, and I did television advertising, so I wasn't doing print. I was flying to Australia and being on the shoots and casting the people and working with the directors, and we had million dollar budgets. So I wasn't, I was used to working large and bringing, helping to bring things together. I had a producer, so it's not like I was the, the quote unquote GC, I was the art director on the job. But I did know when I moved into art that I liked affecting a change large scale. And that if I couldn't do it, I could find someone who could. And that's very important because anybody working large scale, they have a team that's helping them to create things large scale. And you fostering those relationships and knowing where to go and get that done is really important. So my first one, often it's a competition. I was shortlisted, which means it goes down from the big pool of everybody who applies. They pick usually, usually three to four artists who they want to see further develop ideas. And then they choose the one for the, to create the final artwork. What was interesting about this one was, and this is my first one, so I wasn't familiar that familiar with the process, but they would t they took our proposals and they introduced them to the public in a number of different ways. They had workshops, they had them out in public venues so people could comment on them, and I thought that was fascinating. I like feedback, and 
I, not all feedback of, is helpful, of course. I mean, I was laughing with a friend recently that one person saw my work and was like, well, I don't like blue. I'm like, well, next. <laughs> right. But then I got some feedback that was really helpful that helped the piece. So that it's, it's you get, I, I find that if, when I'm working that larger scale and working on a big concept, sometimes you get just kind of wrapped up in your own concept. And when someone can come along with a, a a fresh point of view and say, what if you did this? It's like, oh, that's really, okay, let's take a look at that. So it was very helpful. So you got your first piece put up. Yeah. And how did you feel when you sat in a distance and oh my looked goodness. at it? It's, it, it's, it's amazing. It's really, it's great to see. It's, it's, I don't even know how to explain it. Cause part of it's, it's a weird dichotomy. Cause part of me is like, wow, look at that. You know what I would have done differently? I could have done, and part of me just immediately starts thinking of how I can improve the next one or what I, so I, I need to learn to spend more time on the enjoying part, which I do, I do, but then there's also, well, what if you did this, this, and this? I don't, I don't know many artists who look at something and don't think, oh, I could have done that, or I could have done that, or that would be better if I moved a little touch of red over here. So. Always editing. There's always editing. So, (laughs) yeah. So um, you referred to something that you are working on now. It's a glass sculpture, mm-hmm. stainless steel yeah. elements. This is for a project. I was born in D.C., raised in Silver Spring, Maryland, and this sculpture is in Silver Spring, Maryland. And I was approached by a art advisor there to do a sculpture in front of a development on Georgia Avenue in Silver Spring. So that's what I'm working on now. And this was an interesting one because I think I talked to them in 2012 and I'm just working, I'm finalizing it now. So that's a long time. And most of them don't last that long. So it was like 2012 to 2014. And then they kind of came back like, hey, I'm like, yeah, I'm ready. And then it took a little bit longer and it wasn't until 2016 that we, they were able, they, I guess they broke ground. I don't know what was going on, but I'm, I always assume it's some sort of developer's issue that I don't want to know about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in 2012, you yeah, talked to them, and I did. did you give them some preliminary ideas? I did. I gave them three, and we and they chose one. Okay, so I'm presuming mm-hmm. that your art has evolved quite a bit. I, it changed from the drawing. And when I show drawings initially, I usually show a concept sketch, and I tell them, this is going to change when I get an engineer involved and when, and when we move to final, final, as we like to say, final, final. So the, the drawing was general enough that they knew they liked the idea, but they didn't know exactly how things are going to be. So once they, out of three, if I bring, I don't, I don't bring everything full up. So I, they pick the one and then I'll go back and fine tune it. But yes, in five years, it changed a lot. It, it changed a lot. Well, so, I would also assume that you as an artist changed a lot in yes. five years. Yeah. Yeah. So... I still like circles. That's the good news. I still like working in glass and metal. So that did not change. But the form got a lot more interesting. It was a lot, uh, lot the initial one was very linear. And the new one is, it have cross members and, and horizontal members. And the rings are kind of dancing all over the sculpture. So as you move around it, you don't get the same view from any angle on the sculpture, which I think is really exciting. And the way it interacts with the building, there's a colonnade that you kind of peek through and see parts of the sculpture. And then as you move around the front, you get a totally different view than you do from when you're seeing it from above. So there's there's glass discs and pierced metal discs, the ones that kind of look gray with white background. That's not going to be pierced through. So you'll be able to see through those, which is a really another, which is another very interesting element. 
So I'll be able to see through this uh, pierced metal onto the glass. Okay. And I'll also put shadows on the ground. So there's kind of, this is a very active sculpture. So what we're looking at for our uh, listening in audience <laughs> is um, some, uh, we were talking about the rolled steel. So we've got some rolled steel, very the narrow wings. pillars that start wide and lean in onto themselves and then they sort of have some branches mm -hmm. for lack of a yep. better way of describing yeah, it, that's a good way of that, describing it that extend out and on those branches are circles that encase beautiful very mostly very colorful glass. they are very colorful oh that's another thing i want to say about these these uh, the, the images that you see that are going to be rendered in glass I took. I went. I did three different photo trips to Silver Spring. I took literally thousands of photographs, and that's what makes these patterns. Uh -huh. So they can recognize parts of their community in the sculpture, which I love. And even if they don't, it's Easter egg. Time. Well, that's exactly. Yeah, it's it's going to be bright, beautiful color. And I don't want them to recognize it. When I point them out, they'll be like, "See that? That's the canopy from the new library that we oh. built." Or see that? That's an Art Deco storefront right over there. But you can't tell that from looking at this, which is right. great. I, once I point it out, you'll see it. But when you look at this, yep. you don't say, oh, Chamber of Commerce yeah, sculpture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's the Easter egg thing, that magic that you find. Yeah, right? yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's a ceiling at the, at the college that's close by. That's, that's the uh, metros. So it creates, even if it's unconscious or unknown, it creates a real connection to place mm -hmm. and connection to people it's like experience. a sculpture for a place of the place in mm -hmm. this situation and and that's exciting to me there's a there's that's a lot cool there's a lot going on with that yeah. one yeah so yeah it changed a lot and it and they were very happy with the changes it sounds like you could be you're reinvigorated about it it's not like oh my gosh i've got to go back and get, breathe life into an idea that i moved far away from because right. it's five years no, ago uh, you, you're, you're, yeah Exactly. Okay, so yeah. can you walk me through the process from beginning to end? Because I really don't know what it takes to fabricate a large sculpture that has steel and that mm -hmm. has glass. And so you you started with the general concept. Yes. Yeah. And the, you got some approval for a general concept, mm -hmm. and then you made that concept more specific. And take take me from there. Yeah. Okay. So it well depends, and there's so many variables. Um, this one that you're working the, on. Okay. So since this one is in D.C., the idea there's no reason for me to build it here and ship it there. So I started looking for fabricators in the area. I talked to my art administrator, and I talked to other sculptors in the area, and find out who they have worked with in the past that they've liked. That's really important, because that happens a lot in public art. You go to a place and you work with some vendors, and sometimes it's a good story, and sometimes it's not. Just like when you work on your house. You know, some of your, you're gonna love some of your contractors, and some you're not gonna give a good review to. So I, but I found this, uh, a fabricator that I love, a metal fabricator. He's out of Alexandria, so I fly down and I meet him, and we talk about things and how we want things done and what we're thinking of and what is, I want to see what a shop looks like. So what exactly will your fabricator do for you? I do the drawings and he's gonna order the steel, he's gonna have the steel rolled, stainless steel tube, it, it's a pretty thick tube, thick walled tube, one inch, and he sends that out to roll it. So he doesn't, that's funny because a lot of things get moved around. He has someone he likes in Baltimore who rolls the metal for him. Then we'll get the metal. We'll make sure the glass fits nicely in, inside that all the sizes are correct. We're gonna custom make a clamp to hold the glass in, a couple of clamps. 
we're going to make sure that there's space between the ring and the glass just so it looks kind of nice and light and open. So we're going to work out all the details. So what he does is he fabricates it for me. I get him an engineering drawing. In this case, he had an engineer he likes working with. I build a model, a one-to-one -one model. So if it's 20 feet tall, I do a 20-inch model to give him an idea of where things are going to be. Mm -hmm. And I do a ton of Photoshop drawings to mm -hmm. send him ideas and mm -hmm. so we can work back and forth that way. Okay. So he's like my hands because I'm, I'm not interested in welding. I'm not a welder. And having someone else do it is great. And his work is really clean and lovely. Okay, so he will create all the metal parts. Mm -hmm. uh, what about the glass? How I'm does going. That to, I'm working for someone. I I often go to Germany to get my glass done. In this case, uh, there was. I'm working with a place called GGI in New Jersey. So they're going to do my glass for me, which is great. So I again, I do the one-to-one -one files. I flew up there to see what they had, what their what their capabilities are took a tour of their workshop. They had, you know, just all of the machinery that they had can do, they can cut the glass, make holes in the glass, print ceramic frit on the glass, the different kind of glasses that are available, whether it's a low iron, which is a clear edge or a green edge. There's a lot about, there's a lot to glass. So I wanted to go up there and see what their capabilities were. And then I do one-to-one -one files, which end up being like a gig each. I mean, they're monstrous. I have to drop boxes, one-to-one um, -one files. Well, if, if the glass, the largest glass I think is 24 inches in diameter. And I have doing that at 400 dpi that's a large slow loading file <laughs> and then i drop box them to them they do samples to me and then they'll get to me i'll fine tune those and they'll get back to them and we'll move to the final laminated glass and does that glass do they put the color in that glass mm -hmm. they do and they're they're following the file that you yes give them? yeah yeah so within this case i it's, it's painted glass, so there's a lot of different ways of getting color in glass. It, when it's exterior glass, as far that I've done has always been tempered and laminated. So the color's on the inside. If you think of two pieces of glasses coming together, the color's always on the inside, and then it's protected by the exterior layer of the glass. So all the color goes in there. In this case, we're doing ceramic frit printing, which is a, a technique, is a very specific, and it's color fast. It's not like when you see a wine glass and you can scratch a paint of wine glass, you can scratch a paint off. It's not like that at all. It's color that's going to stay because the, the it's a stable ceramic medium. And that, that's what I work with in Germany, too. The Germans are very good glass painters. So New Jersey, in this case, is mm -hmm. going to ship glass to your fabricator. Mm -hmm. And then the fabricator will put it all together. Yes. And then how I'll does be it, there for that. How does it get from your fabricators? They'll have, they'll have the big old flatbed up there, and they'll ship the metal frame out and then we'll we'll put the glass in on site. And is there a concrete pad that mm -hmm. goes on? Yes, so and, and it's underground. So the sculpture just looks like it's rising out of the pavers of the uh, courtyard of this particular so building. So do you make sure that the pad gets poured and all of that, or is That's, that the contractor? That, yes, I give, the, I give the specs to the contractor of the building and they had it poured in this case. Yeah, because... So it's a very complicated, very yeah. <laughs> collaborative, in a way, process, a, I would say. There's guess. a lot to it. I mean, it's it's like, hi, I'm Catherine Woods, artist GC. I mean, part of it does feel like you're general contracting, because um, you're talking to a lot of different people and making sure everyone's working in concert. And it doesn't make you crazy. <laughs> Not any crazier than anything else would. <laughs> and at the end of the day, it's like you get a beautiful sculpture out of it. So that's that's nice reward. I used to work, I made myself crazy in advertising and I got 30 seconds worth of commercial out of it. A friend of mine once said, that's a lot of work for 30 seconds. And it was, I mean, those were like year long schedules too. Wow. So what made you make the break from the world of advertising to the world of fine art and public art? Yeah, it took me a long time to decide that. I was in advertising for about 12 years, working mostly in television. 
And I just fell out of love with it. And that business is way too hard to not love going in there. And I just wasn't, it wasn't doing it for me anymore. But it took me a long time to decide what to do because the one thing about advertising is it pays really well. So you're walking away from a huge salary, so you better make sure you're walking in a direction you really wanna go. I had finally taken a three, my first three week vacation. I think it was my first and only three week vacation. And I went with a friend, a girlfriend from to South Africa and I was on a beach there and I thought, you know what? I would sell my house in order to do art full time. And I loved my house, so I knew I was serious. And that's, I went back to the advertising agency and started saving up money and saved for, I knew I wouldn't make money in the, in the, for a while. So I started saving enough to live on for at least a year. And then I quit advertising and started doing art full time. And did you have training as an artist? Oh, yeah, I've always done, uh, yes, I, yes. I've always done art. I studied art in college until I decided at 20, there wasn't anything I wanted to say badly enough that I wanted to, st to, to starve for it. So I, I moved to graphic design and then into advertising. But I'd always been, I've figure drawn since, uh, since I could pick something up. I mean, at 15, we would do it in high school, you know, clothe figures. And of course you moved to the nude in college and love figure drawing. I was always taking classes while in, in, in any kind of business, whatever I was working in. I've done, I did metalsmithing for about eight years. I haven't done many, much ceramics. I've done some recently, but more hand building. I enjoy that. I've done some painting. And so I've done, I've always, and I did, of course, glass. I did the fused glass. So I've always had some sort of art training. I've, I docent it at the Pulitzer Foundation of the Arts, which I, I loved working there. Because Emily Pulitzer had a relationship with a, a lot of the people that, whose art she loved. So they, I mean, Richard Serra came and spoke with us. And, and Tadao Anda, who designed the building, came and spoke with us. I'm a huge art history buff, so I studied that in college. I continue to study that and just keep up with what's going on. So, yeah, I, 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 I do the work. I don't want to get insulated where it's like, what's going on only in St. Pete? I want to know what's going on worldwide. Like, what's Heatherwick doing? And what's Olafur Eliasson doing? And what's Rachel Whitred doing? I mean, Anish Kapoor. You want to know what's going on out there. There's a lot of fabulous, amazing arts. And Arts 21, I love watching that show and keeping up with arts that way as well. So you you mentioned some names. Um, obviously, they must be people that you are excited by mm -hmm. what they're doing. Yeah. So yeah. talk about a little bit of what some of those people might be doing that motivates you. Heatherwick, just everything he does turns, I think, is gorgeous. He did the Seed Cathedral in London. He's a London... I, I, I don't know if he's considered an architect or a designer or artist. He's all the above. And his his work's just amazing. He did a rolling bridge. He's about to do something, a big project in New York. He, but every time I see his designs, they, they you know, you just get a reaction to them. They like goosebump time. It's they're just so different than anything you've ever seen before. And of course, Anish Kapoor is who did the, the Big Bean in Chicago. I've been following his work since the early things at the Hirshhorn. I remember because I grew up growing up in DC, I was at the Hirshhorn a lot. He did one, it's just a swirling pool of black water and the floor of a gallery. And it's just so cool. And he's all over the place. I mean, I've seen things of his that are just like huge pieces of cast glass. He's all over the place with materials. And I don't think his work only has one look. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of art that's exciting because he's exploring in, a, in an exciting way in a lot of different mediums. It seems to me as I'm looking at artists lately, let's say artists who are working now, so artists of today and of the future, they have a lot of different looks. Mm -hmm. I was very 
comfortable and familiar with if I looked at a piece I would know the artist who did it because it was it was their language mm -hmm. but today I think artists are working in many different artistic languages some of the people locally that I've been talking to here in the Pinellas County area mm -hmm. we recently had a panel and one of the artists got up and said how do I create an application that shows me as an artist who is cohesive when I work in five or six different medias and what I'm doing in those different medias is is kind of different. I might be doing masks three-dimensionally but I'm doing murals and I'm doing prints and yeah I mean even you I, I saw some of your works and the one one cracked me up which was the uh the hydrant uh, of course you knew that would be the <laughs> I mean, one that, 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 always, gets everybody a, that always gets a good laugh uh, yeah. if I saw that and then some of your towers or I've seen some so I, yeah I, I wouldn't say Ah, oh, the same. I wouldn't necessarily instantly say the same artist. Right, right. I have I have real mixed feelings about that. I remember someone saying, you know, poor mm -hmm. Jackson Pollock. I mean, you got to the point where he couldn't do anything but do, paint with a stick and drips because that's what everyone expected from him. Right. And I think that's a disservice to the artist. I think not being trapped by a technique is a great thing. And it's nice having one piece that, for me personally, if there's one piece that's like a your quote unquote bread and butter piece that people are going to like, and you can you've got to make a living while you're working. So not everything, if you're really stretching it, is going to be successful. So if you have a piece that, that is great that people love and you can keep doing that while you explore, that to me is a really nice place to be in. So uh, for me, I'm always going to be working to, with color. I love color. And I like working with glass in a, in a unique way. So That one you referred to, the tire hider, that was just a lot of fun because it, it was a temporary piece. And it was, it's just kind of, it's different, but it was just, the, the, sometimes the sights speak to you. That's another thing I like about public art is it's like you go to the site and it's gonna say something you know not glass this time Kath why don't we try something new I'm doing one in Vancouver Washington that's for a school and when I went to the site I, I did something entirely different I'm doing a carved surface that looks like topographical maps turned sideways so as the kids go down the staircase it looks like they're flying over a magical landscape oh my gosh yeah that that's sounds fun it's it's really fun it's really fun well and I they were excited about that the client I mean it was totally different than why they hired me right. and it was because what this that's what the site that was for the site. So let's talk about color. Okay. Because you just even watching you say okay <laughs> and get very excited. It's, it's yeah, it's compelling. I mean, it's really, it, it'd be better if we had a light box with glass on it so we could talk about color and, and actually play with color. It's, what's it like? It's talking with about color, what they say, like dancing about architecture. It's a tough thing to do. One thing I love about glass though is I do love the, the differences, the opaque glass and transparent glass gives you totally different things with front lighting and back lighting. Like I said, you can get a totally different sculpture day and night, and that's something I'm looking at now. That one, the one in Silver Spring I just talked about that has the circles. Those circles are going to look different during the day, and the light comes through them than they are at night when they're front lit. So that's exciting. So how do you choose? Because all of those all of those colors that are finally there are choices that you made. Yeah. That those are the colors that ought to be there. Well, I think you have to leave a little room for the, I don't know if it's the magic or it's the, I don't know what I'd call it, the intu intuitiveness. I mean, if everything is a formula, you might as well be, I might as well be a mathematician and I'm really, really not. So I just start playing and see what, what comes up. So do you have, I mean, do you have a favorite color palette that you start? I do not. I don't. Do you have the colors that you never use? <laughs> Um, no, I don't think I do, but I do, but that's an interesting thing because it depends on the process. I know that if I'm overlapping glass, I don't want to use transparent red because it, 
it doesn't work well with other colors. Like I overlap blue and yellow and get green. I overlap red with anything, I get red. You know, unless it's like a black. So red doesn't play well with others. So if I'm gonna, I'd rather move I to an that. orange. But it, but a little kiss of red in the right place can really liven something up too. So it's 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 an intuitive process. It's a it's the art part. It's the you know you. There's a lot of information in my head and a lot of knowledge that I it's hard to express that comes to play, and I and I can tell when the color palette's working and when it needs a little adjusting. Well, let's go back then to the Vancouver because there's a couple things you said. First off, I really want to understand a little bit more about this magical feeling of, of flying as you walk down Ooh, the stairs. Um, but you also said that it was very different than what what the people expected. And I have a sense a little bit maybe even different than what you might have expected before you got there. How does How does that happen where you integrate with the site and something new happens you know it's it's i like to ask someone to parse a relationship like why did you fall in love with that guy all right you know why did you fall in love with that guy? <laughs> <laughs> you it's i did a lot of comps for this one i took a ton of photographs and i did a lot of comps and nothing was exciting it was all like that interesting like solid c interesting but it wasn't until i thought you know when you walk down that staircase what if i took a landscape and that's when i got excited and that's when i know that I'm hit, I've hit on something when I actually am excited about then what? Now what? How do we make this happen? What, are the, what do I incorporate? And it's a lot of work because I'm incorporating buildings from around the world. I kind of, I made them stylized so it sort of looks like everything's fractal. It's just a matter of like what buildings go where, how do they look good, what holds them all together, what's going to be interesting when seen that way and then what colors to use. So it's it's exciting. It's because it's an idea that I love. I, I start a lot with, the, I, I think starting with the idea is the important thing. I don't just want to go to a site saying, let me, what if I just put my art here? It's like, well, what does the site want? I mean, of course, it's going to be color. It's going to be things that uh, that are sort of my trademark. So uh, on the board at 620, Studio 620, and for one of their the studio honors, I was helping them with decor, the Coliseum, which is a, a pretty cavernous space. And I just wanted to create like a comfortable environment. So I brought in weather balloons to kind of bring the ceiling down and kind of personalize thing. And we built different areas with sofas and chairs. And while that's not quote unquote art, it's creating an environment and a public, almost like a public space that was very comfortable and exciting for the people who came in. A lot of people commented on how cool it looked at the Coliseum, and those having weather balloons inside was very cool. And we put lighting designs on them, so they almost look like Japanese land, like yeah. huge Japanese landers kind of thing. Because I, I like how seeing how people use a space and mm -hmm. how how this space could work well for them. There, I think I'm not I'm not gonna get this quote quite right, but they say an artwork is not complete until the viewer like completes the circuit. It's like art, artist art on the wall, and then the viewer, and that kind of completes the circuit. With public art, it's like once you see the site and work with the site and how people use the site, that's when it's completed in a lot of in a lot of ways. But I, you know, you, I think having the some people don't like having the site speak to them. I've had I heard artists say that, but I do. I like having I like being on the site and kind of seeing what it's gonna. So how wants. does one listen to a site? Oh gosh. Well, with the with the school, that was a surprise. I mean, we walked uh, we walked all over the school. I toured like five schools in the area. They they were all very similar layouts. So I had seen what other artists had put up, and this one, you know, it was just a matter of keeping at it until I got excited about the the idea. It's I kind of it's that simple. You know, you, you you're working on it. You but you know there's it's kind of like work 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 no no no, and then there's something where you're like, well, that could be a back pocket idea like. 
it's okay, but I know I could do better. So like, keep working, keep working. And then it's like, wow, that that scares me and, ex and gets me excited at the same time. So that's, that's where I'm I'm working on a series and I'm still continuing to work on it of cloud imagery that I make collages out of and then go into with encaustic and paint. And it was one of those, I was taking photos of clouds for a glass tower in Texas because I needed the backdrop. And once I started turning my camera to the sky, I could not stop. And I, again, I collected thousands of photographs and I take them, I, make, I collage them in Photoshop and print them out large and then go into them with the encaustic and, and paint. And it, that's a real textural delight. So it's very different because it's not a ton. That one's not a ton of color. Right. It's more about the texture. I like. I love Anselm Kiefer's texture. It's just a. That was that's. You know, certain artists should go into a place and they could be a room full of twenty artists and you just make a beeline for one. I beeline for Anselm Kiefer when I was a kid in in my in college. I my first piece of his I saw just like Lucian Freud. Great textures, great surfaces, and it's just a, it, it, you get a visceral reaction. And art is a part of life when you can pay attention to the visceral reaction. It doesn't always serve you well in other areas of your life. But in art, it pretty it can. You know, you walk into a room and the first thing you make a beeline to, that's great. Thank you, Catherine Woods. My pleasure. This is Barbara St. Clair, and you've been listening to Arts In, also known as AI, the Creative Pinellas Podcast. Sponsored in part by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners, visit St. Petersburg Clearwater, and the State of Florida Department of Cultural Affairs. Arts In is produced by Matt and Sheila Cowley. You can find more conversations with visual, literary, and performing artists and in-depth arts journalism at creativepinellas.org. Thank you for listening.